Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Okie dokie, it is Wood Talk number 128 for April 10th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about green mineral spirits, wood floor coating options, designing for strength, fixing a hand-cut mortise, armor steel alternatives in the UK, riving knife usage, carving tools, radial arm saws, Crosscut sled usage, there's a lot here, steel hardness, butcher block finishes, using good old Elmer's glue, and sprung joints. But before we get to that stuff, let's hear from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Hardwood To Go, your source for wood on the web. Visit them online at hardwoodtogo.com and pick your boards or send them an email for a custom order. We're woodworkers just like you, and we're happy to help you find the right wood for your next project. Use coupon code WOODTALK to receive 10% off your order. Offer good till May 31st, 2013. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. All right, let's jump right into what's on the bench. Shannon, how's about you, sir? Well, <clears throat> I've been talking about a shop renovation for more than a year now, mm-hmm. and it's just stuff gets in the way. You know, the, this is not quite building something from the ground up, but it's going to require basically stripping the walls bare, moving everything out into the driveway and hopefully ideally laying a floor, mm-hmm. um, framing out new walls and, and cladding all the walls. And looks like that's actually going to happen. I have a dumpster wow. scheduled to be dropped off the uh, second week of May and I get to go into demo mode. So I'm kind of, cleaning spring cleaning the shop a little bit and boy does it need it it's mm-hmm. it's kind of scary what you find underneath that 500 pound workbench <laughs> i was gonna say isn't it amazing you're like that's where that went or i didn't even know i had that where'd that come from <laughs> yeah i mean building building fixed cabinets in general in a small shop i think is just a bad idea because mm. i i haven't been able to get to like two feet of floor space along one wall in more than five <laughs> years 
And there's just so much crap under there. Just not only fire hazard, there's just all kinds of really scary stuff under there. So um, if you're scared of spiders, don't look under the base cabinets. <laughs> so what's uh, what's the big plan for the renovation? Like what's the big change you're going to um, implement? Well, um, I'm not sure. I'm throwing around the floor idea. That the only thing – I'm not going to do a big deal like frame out sleepers and put stuff down. I'm just thinking about putting down – you know, tongue and groove OSB and a vapor barrier underneath it. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing big deal because it is a garage right. and I'm not convinced that we're going to stay in this house forever. So while my wife doesn't want to park our cars in the garage, the next person who buys the house may want to. So, you know, doing more of a permanent floor solution just doesn't, doesn't fly from a, just a resale perspective. Yeah, it makes sense. So <clears throat> I'm just thinking if I'm going to move everything out, I might as well, you know, my, my space is not that big. I might as well buy like eight sheets of TNG OSB and throw it down, you know, just roll out some vapor berry and throw it down and just have it float. Cause I have a French drain around the edge anyway. So the floor needs to float, um, around that. The big thing is I've got those cinder block walls and the, the garage itself is sunken. <clears throat> so at the back of the house, the windows are at ground level so it's cinder block below the windows and drywall above the windows. Mm. And, well, it's not drywall, but it's supposed to be drywall. It's mm. crap wall. And um, I'm going to frame that all out. One whole cinder block wall is going to be turned into um, hardwood cladding. I was going to actually do plywood, but I got a better deal on some um, 1 by 12 mm. um, shiplap. Wow. So it's going to be kind of period looking. Very, very nice, Williams, Williamsburg-esque. Um and uh, I'm I'm just psyched because it's going to be thick material that essentially I could just hang anything anywhere, you know. Right, um, yeah. Like if you were to throw up three quarter inch plywood, you don't really need studs. Sure, um, right. You've got good thick material, and I've got plenty of studs behind it as well. But uh, it's just it's going to totally transform the look. It's going to get rid of the red and the cinder block wall that makes it really <laughs> hard to do anything in my shop, and it's going to give it I don't know just a very kind of homey wood shop and. Wood shop and look. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are but, you going to whitewash the walls basically? I, yes. I, I, yes. Okay. I, I was t- thinking about, you know, doing like a, uh, a polyurethane ish. Cause this is, um, this is a uh, pine actually it's Douglas fir. So that polyurethane kind of throws a little bit of an amber orangish cast to it. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? No, I don't want that. I want to brighten it up. So I'm not going to paint it white. I'm going to whitewash it. So you get that, you know, grain coming through and everything. And, um, you know, finally I can hang my tool cabinet that I built a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I built it specifically to hang on that cinder block wall, knowing that I was going to do this. Um, so it's just been sitting on a, on a, um, countertop for more than a year now. I'm going to basically start from the, almost from the studs and rebuild it up from there, move everything around, put it the way I want it, make sure anything that goes on the floor is movable. Um, going to, actually buy a new power tool. I'm going to buy myself a 20 inch planer. Cool. uh, Yeah. Well, heck yeah. You know, I still use my planer. I still use my 13 inch DeWalt. Um, you know, I'll flatten an edge with a hand plane. And if I'm feeling lazy, I'll (laughs) run it through. Or even if I'm not feeling lazy, if I'm just feeling like rational, I was going to say, it, it's not being lazy. It's being very, very smart. Realistic. <laughs> Realistic. There you go. That's, That's a good better. word for it. Yeah. So, you know, I now have the access to a lot a lot more wide wood. And only in the last couple of years have I actually found myself needing more um, space than the 13-inch thickness planer would allow. 
I just, I, it's rare, you yeah, know, that you yeah. work with boards that much wider and it probably will still be rare. Um, so, you know, up till now it's fine. I know how to flatten boards by hand. I've just flattened a 24 inch wide piece of walnut by hand. That's nice. I don't need to prove anything to anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm buying a 20 inch planer Nice. and I'm getting a grizzly spiral cutter head. You know, I mean, you cannot beat the price on those things. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people are, well, the grizzly's not as high quality, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I'm going to plane these after anyway. I'm yeah. going to hit them with hand planes after I've run it through the planer no matter what. Yeah, so even you if know? you get a little bit of snipe, it's, it's really right. not that big of a right. deal. You know, so you just plan for the snipe. Um, and, and from what I've read, the the one I'm looking at, the 20-incher with the, I don't know, the G whatever number on it, it's the, I think it's $2,300 planer with the spiral cutter head. I mean, the sucker's a beast. It's like a five-horsepower, 220-volt. It's got the built-in mobile base in it. Um, mm-hmm. which is really, really nice and like a 55 inch wide table. So to me, um, I, I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, so that in turn, there's a couple things moving out of the shop. Things are moving around. It's just, it's, it's as close as I'm going to get Mark to what you went through where I get to like redesign it from the ground up. Right. Yeah. Um, I just still have the same footprint. I still have the same square footage to deal with. But actually, I've got more square footage because I'm killing my base cabinets. So mm-hmm. there's two feet of space against the left wall that I'm losing. Um, so I'm psyched. I'm just cool. really excited to start the demo um, yeah. and just move some stuff out of there. It's right kind after, of a cathartic. Uh, right after safety cathartic. week, too. What's that? I said it's right after safety week, too. So you'll you'll have the right mindset going into That's a demo. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and on top of it, if you document this well enough, maybe you can get into uh, tools and shop with fine woodworkings. That way, you know, Mark just was uh, – you, you had the whole thing with uh, Wood Magazine. Right, So right. now you, you could do the one for uh, fine woodworking. I, I have one other there question. You, though. you said you have a French drain. Now, do you plan on putting a French cleat at the French end? Will there yes. be a French end of the shop? Absolutely. Will you be with eating a, French toast next to the yeah. French drain? And the only French fries. <laughs> and a dressing with French dressing on it. <laughs> with French fries. French fries. All right, Matt, how about you? What's going well, on? Well, not too much has actually been going on around here. One big thing for me has been working on the website because obviously it's up and running. I just posted something today as we're recording this about the, the new swag setup, how I'm going to be handling all of that to get your names entered for it. I'm just going to do a little plug there. But the biggest thing I've been discovering with doing this website is I got a lot of content. And I've been trying to clean things up because uh, I really kind of ignored it because of the fact that I've had a, a lot of content. And I'm thinking fresh start means I should really go in and freshen this up and clean things up. Mm-hmm. And as I'm going, I, I I can't believe how much stuff is there. And it's taking me for, right now. I'm somewhere around, I think, uh, June 2012. And I've been working on it for now two weeks. So wow. you're like <laughs> yeah, a, you're like a rich uh, old lady with shoes. There you go. It's it's pretty bad. I'm like, this is. You know, I can't believe how many misspellings I are in so there. So many. <laughs> but the, actually, what I've been doing to take a break from that to get my mind kind of uh, turned off and be able to really enjoy myself is I have been making some more rings. I've been playing around with that a little bit. And one big one was I've been doing some laminated stock where I took just some contrasting woods, uh, glued them up, and said, hmm. "Let's see what happens when I do this." And so far, they've turned out pretty good. I noticed both of the 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 two that I have made have disappeared. I think. I think I know where they're at and who's wearing them and who's swapping them back and forth. <laughs> uh, so that's been that's been a lot of fun. And there's a new a new design that I I just thought I wanted to play with doing some like uh, inlay with like some edge banding. And uh, I don't think yeah that's the right term. Yeah, and I'm going to give that a shot. And 
I'm getting to the point now where I don't think I'm ever going to do a large project again. I'm just going to become the <laughs> ring man. There you go. That's it. That's, you have a whole new idea for the website. You can get rid of Matt's Basement Workshop. Just be the ring man. There you go. Matt's rings. The ring master. Ring-a-ding-ding. Ring ding. Be yeah, the ring master. Nice. <laughs> the ring master. There you go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that right now before anybody else hears that and Hurry takes up. that URL. Hurry up. <laughs> cool. So that's about. Martha, ring master. <laughs> one rule, ring to rule them all. Um. Anyways, that's what's been going on with me. Mark, what do you got going on? I see you said something about a, another track saw. How many track saws you got over there? I've got a couple, man. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a few. I've got one for each appendage. Um, <laughs> basically, I picked up the Grizzly track saw a while ago, and I got it as soon as it came out because I wanted to do this review. And I talked about it a little bit, so I had a bunch of people saying like, hey, where's that review? Where's the review? We know the saw is out. And people are waiting to make this purchase to find out, like, no one wants to pull the trigger until they hear someone else talk about it, which is understandable for, you know, it's a $230 saw package compared to, I don't know, $400 plus if you're looking at any other saw, that at least the stuff that's uh, available here in the States. So I have this one sitting there and I'm like, you know, I'm starting to feel guilty about it. More and more questions are coming in, posts in the forum. I'm like, I got to just do this thing. So I took the saw out, started playing with it, uh, did the whole little video review, and it's going to post tomorrow. So anyone who's been waiting for it and interested in seeing what the saw is all about, that will be available tomorrow. Now, is the Grizzly track saw going to be the one that you only use on Wednesdays? Or is that, you know, seeing as there seems to be enough of them now that you have one for every day of the week? (laughs) That's for Grizzly Tuesdays. Grizzly Tuesdays, there you go. (laughs) When I use that. Actually, what's going to happen, which is pretty cool, is I'm going to give it away. Um, nice. You know, I don't nice. have a need for it. I only bought it for the uh, purposes of the review. So we're going to have this month's giveaway be that particular track saw. So I saved the boxes and all that stuff to hopefully minimize my, uh, you know, amount of work that I have to do to ship it back out. But either way, someone is going to own that eventually. So You're as we're recording this, and put it back in the box. Uh, that actually diminishes the value. As we're recording this right now, we're a, a day away from it being posted. So people who are listening currently are like, oh, that's really exciting. But maybe after you listen to the review, you're like, no, you can keep it. <laughs> Never mind. You can have it. Can I donate? I just have this else? vision of of like you know Mark taking all these tracks and like connecting them together, and have, you know like people have a train set that kind of runs around their <laughs> shop. Mark's just got like this track saw thing, and all the track saws connect together in like a little train. And I'm gonna suspend it from the ceiling. The just let the nope. saw go around the ceiling. It, track is saw there, races. Ooh. Yeah, I was just going to say a track saw race, just like the, the belt sanders. We could have a track saw race over at Mark's place. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We do it the expensive way. Uh, yeah, so track saws are great. I love them. And, you know, honestly, I only really need one. But if I can get some on my hands, you know, so I can review them, I think it's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is, you know, I've been complaining that Andy Chidwick visits everybody but me. Um, and finally he was able to stop by last week. So he and his wife, uh, stopped by, hung out in the shop and Nicole was around. So we were all able to chit chat and have some coffee and, uh, just kind of talk about woodworking and the woodworking shows. You know, um, I know we had a question about this, I think in our 20 question challenge that we just did, where someone said, do we have a, a updated opinion of the, the woodworking shows? And after hearing feedback from people and talking to uh, the Chidwicks themselves, who are uh, you know heavily involved in in the shows, it sounds like they've made some major major changes to how that show is run, like yeah, for the better, like major changes for the better. And I really hope that they do a Phoenix show next year so that I can actually go. That's good to hear because when he stopped at my place, it was like 
right right as it was beginning. So mm-hmm. I I think even if I had asked him, I'm sure I'd have gotten you know kind of a oh it's, it should be really good. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that now he's actually done several of these that it is going good. I mean that's I think that would be the worst thing in the world as a presenter there just being mm-hmm. like oh good this is not going good. Yeah, well, <laughs> and they've transferred owners a couple of times, and even from when I gave it a bad review uh, on the website. They have a new owner since then that actually is fairly new within the last year. So that person seems to really get it and they really understand how this stuff should work. So I think next year, if you like the woodworking show this year, from what I understand, you're going to like it even more next year. Um, I just hope they come locally so that I can actually stop by and see what's up there. But it sounds like it's pretty cool. So. All right, let's move to around the web. You guys got a couple links in there if you want to hit those. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This first one comes in from Graham and, uh, in response to our earlier discussion, I think it was last week about mm-hmm. the whole apprenticeship and who, how do you become a master, what is considered a master. Graham actually wrote a post and included a picture of his grandfather's apprenticeship papers with a, a nice little blurb on kind of the things that went into what it took for him to actually become an apprentice, what was expected, and all of that good stuff. So we have a, a link in there to check that out. Uh, the, the papers look pretty cool. I couldn't imagine somebody doing them today. Today it would just be like printed out as some sort of stock you know, form. <laughs> yeah. And this one actually has like some beautiful handwriting. There's a little wax seal. I thought so, that was blood. Uh, well, he uh, didn't want to say anything. I want to freak. Doesn't it look like blood? It, so. Maybe, maybe that was part of what you had to do. You know, that's why we don't <laughs> do it, it anymore. Is because they would they would make them cut themselves and <laughs> put their yeah, thumb like go over to that bench <laughs> and start cutting. And they always knew that somebody was going to cut a finger off, so <laughs> right. they just came back over and they're like, "All right, you're my apprentice because you don't know anything. You have, you have to determine how well you can actually sharpen." And <laughs> there you go. That's it. Perfect. Good news. He only lost one finger in the uh, the test. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Good stuff. What's next? Uh, I threw this up because it was just up on Robin Wood's blog the other day um, or today or sometime soon. He was on the BBC. He had a, a guy come out from the BBC and, and film this, uh, I think it's like Handmade in Britain, which just to me highlighted like how cool British television is because they're like into – I can't get any woodworking on TV at all. Mm-hmm. And they actually have an entire show dedicated to like handmade crafts in Britain. And this guy went out and interviewed Robin. If you don't know Robin Wood, he is a uh, spring pole turner. He's a professional bowl turner over in um, the countryside of, of uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool guy. Very active in like reviving old crafts and like um, – what would be the best word? Like the movement for like handmade, the movement towards handmade. Right. And um, it's just really cool to see that kind of exposure for him. And it's a pretty cool video to watch him in his like incredibly idyllic pastoral shop and, you know, turning a bowl on a pole lathe. I just think it's a cool video. Very nice. Well, I out. mean, was it the, the English for the ones that – the English. Oh, my gosh. The uh, Over in the UK, weren't they the ones that originally brought us arts and crafts movement anyways? And kind of a return to the craftsmen versus the Victorian. So maybe this Basically, eventually will Basically, everything we have came from England. Well, we came from England too. So I guess that's a good <laughs> point. <laughs> Just about everything. If it didn't come from England, it came from the continent. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, it came from there. Very nice. Uh, and I'll tell you what. My brother, who's living in London right now, says that British TV is crap and has to use a sling player so that he can get TV from the States. 
So they might have good woodworking program, but I guess the rest of it is garbage. Well, apparently what we get on BBC America is just filtered down to like the absolute best that they have and all the channels. <laughs> right. Here you that's go probably. and make you think that we have awesome TV. That could be it. I don't know. Maybe that's something for the kickback section. If you happen to live in England, let us know. Is, is, your, is your TV programming crap or what? What's going on over there? <laughs> All right, poll of the week. What's your preferred sharpening method? Uh, this had a lot of answers, and sometimes Tom gets carried away and has like 14 reply options. <laughs> Control yourself, Tom. I, I noticed Rain that. Rain it I was in. It's like, good Lord. <laughs> Rain it in, man. <laughs> I don't know why these percentages are so low. There's only a few choices. So I'll give you the highlights here. I, I, I kind of got sick of it after a few. 29% uh, are using water stones. That's not too surprising. That's the most. 18% are using a mix of various methods. 12% are using scary sharp. That's with the sandpaper. And 2% are rubbing the blade against the sidewalk. I don't find that technique to be as useful as I thought it would be. <laughs> Not as good. You have to be very, very good with it. And you have to have a nice, flat, level sidewalk, too. Yeah, mine, the kids have their handprints in it, so apparently that's not the good spot to do it. No. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to go check that out and see all of the answers and possible replies, you could do that. I'll give you the link in the show notes. Uh, thanks for doing the poll, Tom. We appreciate it. And now we're going to get into some of our kickback segment here. We've got a couple of replies from people referencing old episodes. Uh, first up, this is a follow-up to last week's question about thin stock through the planer. And let's see, I was wondering if you guys have seen the sand flea. I've seen them at the local Rockler, and for small shops, it seems like a great solution. This, uh, that's by Bill, by the way. Uh, the sand flea is that device that basically has, think of a jointer with sandpaper instead right. of blades. Uh, and I believe the table is level on both sides. There's no adjustment. So you essentially just ride whatever flat work piece you've got. Just ride it over that um, that sanding a drum essentially so and i know there's also very inexpensive plans where you can make this sort of thing yourself that i've seen out there too so right. it's it's really interesting I, i've used it before and i couldn't stop like i would get little pieces of wood and put them on there and then let them shoot across the room <laughs> it's, it's it's too tempting not to do that so i don't know that this i'm a good candidate for this tool <laughs> um, but i know some folks who do like to use it nice you know i i have one more kickback for uh Eric's original question because Eric, I just my kickback is uh, I know that you double dipped on this question and you asked a competitive <gasps> woodworking podcast what? the same exact question. I think there was a slight difference, so um, you will start be start being censored from this point forward. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, the good news is apparently we're all in the same mind sync because that particular show had very similar answers to what we did. Although they did go off on a tangent, if I remember right, which is what I'm doing right now. So I probably should move on to the next <laughs> kickback. Yeah, that is and interesting. Just, if you hear uh, hear the question on more than one show, it's not like there's that many woodworking shows out there. <laughs> well, I even had to do the thing where I, I picked up my uh, my iPhone and I quickly looked to see, no, I, this is the show I'm listening to. This question sounded <laughs> awful familiar. Nice. Very good. All right, so this next kickback comes in from Bo, and Bo is asking, or is saying, your advice on episode 127 concerning liability and insurance for non-lawyers was very good. The validity of waivers varies from state to state, so what may be valid in Maryland, Michigan, or Arizona may not be valid somewhere else. Local attorneys will need to be consulted as to the validity in that jurisdiction. Now, even if valid, a waiver must be proven valid, which means that the person relying on the waiver will need to hire a lawyer who will need to ask the court to dismiss the claim based on the waiver. The lawyer may have to file a written motion, read in a response, and file a reply. 
and attend a hearing to get the waiver enforced. That will most likely cost several thousand dollars if all goes well. Insurance is much cheaper. Never rely solely on a waiver. And now I'm going to kick Mark to wake him up. <laughs> this is why. Uh, this is why very special people practice law. Um, that's just a lot of crap to worry about. But thank. It sounds like Bo is a lawyer. If you're not, um, you seem to know quite a bit about it. So thanks. Thanks for that information. But that's why you hire lawyers because nobody wants to to trudge through that crap you know? <laughs> yeah, his, his email did point to a law firm domain so there you I go suppose you, he could be the receptionist or something like that but <laughs> cool well thanks for that information Bo. because a lot Absolutely. of times we're just uh we're just making crap up as we go so and yeah, once <laughs> a lot of we, we're actually yeah. right <laughs> most times right all right you're up shannon all right michael has said uh thanks for answering my question this week about liability insurance um, you guys were mentioning the U.S. apprentice system and how it differs from Europe, and I thought I'd send you a link for a book I've been reading that goes into this exact topic. It's called Shopcraft, Shop Class as Soulcraft, and I believe it's a New York Times bestseller. Anyway, it deals with why the industrial arts tapered off since the Industrial Revolution, but also the intrinsic benefits of creating things and being autonomous in an increasingly instant gratification world. Worth checking out if you have the time. I second that. I read that book, and it's outstanding. So thank you, Michael. Very, very good uh, book suggestion. Cool beans. All right. We do have a voicemail here today from Michael who wants to know our thoughts on using a more conservative approach when building furniture. Let's uh, take a listen. Hey, guys. It's Michael Bond in Sherwood, Oregon. And my question is sort of a philosophical one. It has to do with uh, kind of the use of, of old-growth timber. I've been watching uh, watching Mark's uh, bed built that he's posted on his free site, and you know, I guess I don't know for sure that his his bed is made of old growth timber, but it raises kind of the, the question. It's a big, massive piece, and it uses a lot of material. And um, you know, in my opinion, it's beautiful, and it's probably the way to do it. And obviously, it's the way his client wanted it. But for me, it raises the question: you know, you get that same sort of bulkiness in a variety of ways. It could have been done with veneers or with uh, you know mitered mitered corners out of Better full quarter material or something, and sort of a hollow box look. There's different ways, I suppose, to achieve that sort of chunky look. But uh, oftentimes, the way we all design our furniture is to use uh, you know, large quantities of very thick material. And I'm just, you know, wondering if, it's, if that's the most responsible way we could all be doing it. I, I do the same thing in some of my work, and uh, and think about it as I do it too. So, just kind of wanted to raise that question of. You know, if, if, if there's a way to pull off a similar or a, a, a very same appearance is, is using, you know, large amounts of solid timber that comes from a tropical location and grows very slowly, you know, is that is that the way to do it or not? So I'm just, I guess, raising the question. All right. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Shannon, go. <laughs> well, um, first things first, four-quarter material is very much a North American phenomenon. Um, when you're talking about exotics, at least exotics for us in North America, South American, African woods, the sawmills want to saw them in eight quarter and thicker. There is a lot of waste that comes from sawing four quarter material, mainly because the thinner it is, the more tendency it has to warp and check as you're drying it. Mm. A thicker cut is more stable when you put it through a kiln. Plus the exotic stuff, it's air dried, you know, dragged through a forest, sits in a port, sits on a ship in basically a, you know, a metal container being baked on the ocean as it's shipped here. So a lot of crap happens to that. 
between cutting it down and ending up here in the United States market. So the thicker they can cut it, the the less waste there's going to be turned into sawdust in the joiner and the planer. So I think you're actually going to find that the most responsible thing is to stick with the thicker material. Um, in order to get four-quarter, say, Bubinga, because I know you use Bubinga on that, Mark. Yeah. We have to – we, meaning the company I work for, has to specifically order four-quarter material. Then the sawmill groans and grumbles and says, you Americans are such a pain in our butt because we don't saw it that way. Mm-hmm. So they specifically have to make a custom run of four-quarter and five-quarter material. And they set aside trees for that, whereas normally they're just running eight-quarter, ten-quarter, twelve-quarter type stuff. So one would make the case for saying it actually is a little bit better to use the thicker stuff and not um, turn that waste material into sawdust because you're having to flatten a board that's moved on you a bunch. Right, right. Well, and I can also address his um, his thoughts on the construction of the piece. I think in general, when you do have to build something that has a bulky look to it, yeah, you should probably consider different ways that you can construct that. And if he's not a guild member, he probably doesn't know that we actually did as a group go through various different ways that we could possibly construct that footboard, um, which is really where the the mass is really coming from. And the problem is based on the, the customer's requests, which number one, no veneer veneer wasn't even in the conversation uh, with this particular client. Um, we tried a bunch of different ways. People made some awesome suggestions, including making sort of a mitered box out of each one so the inside is hollow. But there were significant grain direction issues that we kept running into that would prevent me from actually going that route. And then the big, massive, solid wood uh, was really the only choice that made sense and uh, conformed to what the client was looking for. So it's one of those things, you know, if you're building it for yourself, you might be able to cut those corners or do something a little bit different and change your, okay, I originally wanted this, but I'll settle for this because it uses less material. When someone's paying you to build it and it's, uh, you know, it's a client, you sort of just do what they want you to do. I mean, you can kind of have a little bit of influence, but there's a limit. And I'm not about to tell this guy, let me use veneer. He'll go find someone else to build what he actually wants. Right. You know, the other thing I'll say to Michael is I caution him against using the term old growth timber. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, tropical species grow faster. There there is no early and late growth. It's hot and wet and growing season all the time down Mm -hmm. there, 100% of the year. So these trees actually grow much faster than what we're used to in North America. Unfortunately, the old growth stuff back in the days when no one cared and they were just clear cutting like mad, that stuff is gone there is still old growth material in untouched virgin forests and things, but there's no way to get to it. Yeah. And those are the areas that are protected, that are national parks, that are CITES protected right now. There are no logging roads that go in there. So in order to actually get to them, they would require a significant amount of, of upheaval and a significant investment in infrastructure, which is just not going to happen in our more kind of sustainably, sustainably conscious society, mm-hmm. which is not going to happen. So what's coming out of there now is regrowth, second, right. third, sometimes fourth generation type stuff. But you would be shocked at how big these trees grow and how fast they grow. So we're excited to get 16 quarter cherry and 16 quarter walnut. 16 quarter is nothing <laughs> for Sapili, Bubinga, Udali, um, Fijian mahogany, South American mahogany, the trees grow really big and they go really fast because lots of rainfall, lots of hot 
humid weather. So yeah, yeah. well, and I think careful about that term old growth. It right. doesn't mean I think what he thinks it means. Right. Well, just in general, though, I think he, he brings up a really valid point. And I think most of us do this. We're not just sort of, of using thick, big materials just for the hell of it. I think uh, a lot of times we all kind of have a conservative approach in, in the back of our minds. If we it depends on the project, how much we exercise it uh, for the same reason that I don't waste water. Could I afford to run the water while I'm brushing my teeth? Yeah, it's probably not going to cost that much more, but I don't want to waste water. It makes no right. sense to waste that water. So I'm not going to be overly wasteful with my wood use either uh, for sure. a similar reason. So It's expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that happens to be expensive, unlike, uh, right. unlike water. Uh, okay, let's jump into our emails. I got the first one here from Matt. Matt, you know, you can just you can just call me if you want to ask me Seriously. a question. I mean, you don't have to well, I, I don't want to jump to the front of the line. I mean, I, I, I already take too many privileges anyways. Uh, remember those 24,000 texts I sent you the other day? <laughs> That's right. All day long, Matt and I were texting back like the two 14-year-old girls. All right. The first time I bought mineral spirits, so this is from Matt, by the way. The first time I bought mineral spirits, I bought the odor-free white stuff in the plastic bottle. I used it for cleaning projects and thinning poly. And after I finally ran out, I bought the mineral spirits in the can, the clear stuff. What a shocking difference. Looking back, I feel the other stuff is garbage and can't think of any reason the milky stuff is a better choice. What's the difference? Uh, well, I can tell you that this the new green, as they refer to it, uh, mineral spirits, it hasn't been out for all that long. And when, when it did start to come out, I actually picked, I picked some up, or at least, it, I don't know, maybe it hasn't been marketed to woodworkers. Maybe it has been out for a while and it's just new to us. But uh, I picked up a, a can of the stuff and... Frankly, I just couldn't see how to use it for anything other than cleaning because it's it's white, it's milky, it, it totally looks like milk, and I don't see how this was going to be good for a clear finish. So I never actually used it for dilution purposes. Uh, folks who are buying it for cleaning and looking at some reviews out there are not real happy with it. This thing has nothing really? but like one-star reviews. Right? Listen to some of these titles. This is on Amazon, uh, review titles. What is this stuff? <laughs> right that's that's the response i usually get when i make dinner in the family what is this stuff mineral um, spirits is people uh yeah garbage do not purchase crap in a bottle uh oops i meant minus one star <laughs> emulsion from hell this doesn't work as mineral spirits i mean it goes on and on insufficient labeling um so clearly this stuff is not performing the way people expect it to uh, so if you're looking to dilute finishes and you want some really good quality mineral spirits, just buy the standard clear odorless uh, mineral spirits. This stuff that they sell now is their green mineral spirits. The idea is it's made with um, renewable resources or, or more renewable resources, and it's just more environmentally friendly. But as is the case in a lot of times with, with stuff like this, doing that is what, you know, you sort of remove the properties that everybody loves about the stuff in the first place. I think the Lovely. moral of the story is, is when you get tired of reading trollish comments on YouTube, read Amazon reviews. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Like, did you, I remember there was one years ago, like it was a gallon of milk and it just got like, it went on fire with the, the reviews that were just passed around social media. And some of the reviews on this gallon of milk were so funny. It was, it was pretty clever. Good <laughs> That's stuff. Awesome. So there you go. For a minute there, I thought you were reading the responses from the one finisher that you had on the, the uh, Guild interview several years ago, but I might, I might be wrong. <laughs> <No>. so. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> okay. We won't that. We, we, we could forget that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got this next question. This is uh, Dell in Tallahassee, and Dell's asking, a few episodes back, someone asked about floor covering, enamel or epoxy, I think. You did epoxy in your glorious new shop, which I'm pretty sure he's talking to you, Shannon. He must have gotten ahead of us. 
Uh, he time traveled. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, but you told someone, or maybe Shannon did, that enamel was good for wood floors. I'm moving into my puny 16 by 10 next month, but want to make it the best I can. Do you remember the advice pertaining to a good covering for wood floors? And by enamel, did you mean paint? Or maybe I should just go with mats? Um, yeah, I... I, I have mats on my question. floor. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, I gave this one to you, Matt, because I ran out of ones to give you. So um, That's okay. I'm used to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what he's talking about. It wasn't me that recommended anything for a wood floor. Um, I don't yeah. know if it was you, Shannon. But Me either. I, I okay. epoxy painted my concrete floor in my laundry room. That's that's what I was thinking. Is I'm like, I, I, cause if I remember right, there was a discussion about putting the epoxy down, almost like a garage, like the, the yeah, industrial yeah. garage kind of epoxy. Um, well, let's just address this as if someone was just saying, hey, I have wood floors. What do I put on them? Um, I don't know. For me personally, I'm not a big fan of, of a painted floor, especially if it's wood. I mean, just about any wood product, even frankly, even the ugliest wood product on a shop, like in a shop space, actually would just look good with some sort of clear protective finish as long as it's not too slippery. I remember um, Chris Schwartz, when he put in his new white oak floor in his shop, he wrote something on his blog about the the flooring guy actually made this recommendation. Um, and it was like using a water-based product and it actually raised the grain and made for a little bit kind of grippier floor. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have like a high build like you would have in your house, you right, know, a right. high glossy build hardwood floor. It was only like one or two coats and that was uh, one and done. So. Um, I would head over to the Lost Art Press blog and check that out. See if I can find the link and we can include it in the show notes. Yeah, Maybe even, we can, go ahead, we can make, make a recommendation for, remember, several episodes ago, there was a question about a, uh, a textured uh, finish for a handle for uh, a fishing net. Maybe mm. that might be good. You don't want to fall on it. It probably would hurt a little bit, but it would definitely give you a little grip there. Right. Um, yeah, and actually he made a recommendation uh, in a discussion I had with him about workbenches, and I think he probably applied that same logic that why can't we just do this on workbenches too? Yeah, yeah, you know? I think you're right. So, um, oh, okay, I got these out of order, but I'll just take them as they are. Uh, we got another one here from Peter. He says, I want to make a high chair for my 15-month-old son inspired by the Trip Trap chair. Have you guys seen that? It's kind of like... That sounds dangerous. <laughs> for a kid, right? <laughs> yeah. Trip that was trap. in the sound of music, right? Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, sort of like that cantilevered angled design, uh, but it only has two legs. How do you choose the thickness of legs and calculate or pro- uh, project strength of the finished piece when designing, Peter? This is interesting because um, this is something we have to think about with every project we design. Is the the joinery that we design and the work pieces, you know, within this structure, are, are they going to be strong enough to handle the weight that we're going to put on it? In most cases, I don't know if anyone, I mean, if you guys do something different, uh, chime in. But what I do is I rely on the people who are smarter and more experienced than me. Oh, that's where I go. That's why I texted you the other day. <laughs> so like if I'm building a table or if I'm building a trip trap, trip trap chair for a kid, um, I'm going to go to their website and I'm going to look at what they've done and try to figure out based on what I see, what size material they're using. And then I just try to figure out how I can make it better without necessarily changing the overall look of the piece. So just about anything I could possibly want to make has probably already been made by someone who, or, or someone who's already done this before, or there's tradition behind it, and there's logic that was developed over time that, yes, this is enough to, to support that weight. And I just rely on uh, old information, basically. 
that's actually not a bad way to do it all. I mean, a lot of times that's where inspiration comes from in the first place, looking at those. Sure, there are like golden rules for particular pieces of furniture about, you know, table heights and, and chairs and what the, the the size of, you know, legs should be for proper support and stuff like that. But I, I kind of do the same thing that you do. I, I kind of look at it and go, hmm, OK, that's a good start. I yeah, can work with that. A starting point, right? I mean, you may not even good. may not even copy it, uh, you know, inch for inch or, or, you know, the exact design. But you're looking at it and say, if that can support that structure, that's a decent place to start. Right. Now, one more thing I will suggest is uh, because this sounds like a dangerous chair to me, I mean, the name may be something that just is, just doesn't work for me somehow. Why don't you do a quick search to see what the lawsuits are on this particular chair and decide <laughs> if it's something that is safe for how many for kids? How many kids were tripped and then trapped in that? Exactly. Chair? Yeah. How did that become that name? <laughs> there you go. All right, Shannon, you're up. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> My um, fellow Marylander, Jonathan, has a question. He's. Just cutting some mortises with a chisel and hammer, and I managed to undercut one of the walls pretty severely. How would you go about fixing the mortise? Um, I'm assuming when he says pretty severely that he's ending up with a very loose uh, loose fit and he's already got his tenon cut or whatever. Um, probably the, the best thing to do is actually to widen that mortise, uh, assuming – I mean, if he undercut and he didn't blow out the side, then he's probably got the room to be able to widen that mortise a little bit. So take that undercut wall and turn it vertical. Now, if he ends up too close to the edge of the the board, then what I would end up doing is once you've brought that wall vertical, then insert a plug, um, like plug the mortise with a tenon that fits it and then trim it flush and recut the whole mortise all over again. But, um, you know, if it's not real, real severe, you can just widen the mortise. And then if you haven't cut your tenon or just recut your tenon so that it's, uh, that it's wider. And if you've already cut your tenon and you don't want to recut it, then glue a patch onto the, the side of the tenon to match the thickness of the tenon to the new wider mortise. Does that make sense? Yes. If I was okay. listening, if I was listening, it would definitely make sense. <laughs> no, it sounds to me like you were talking French. You must have been near the French train. Uh-huh. I, I kind of missed part of it. <clears throat> no, I was actually distracted. It, it does make uh, it does yeah. make sense though. It does actually, uh, and I'll double check that when I listen to it later. <laughs> um, <laughs> Otherwise, put something into kickback and let us know what you really think. Right. Uh, okay, so Dave has a question. He's in the UK. He says, "Living here in the UK, we have really crappy TV." He, he didn't actually see that. <laughs> the closest I'll ever get to using armor seal is holding a cloth up to the screen while watching one of Mark's videos because it's banned over here. Now, obviously, I don't expect any of you to know what is actually available in the UK, but maybe you might know one or two recommendations of anything quite similar. Specifically, a high-quality stain uh, satin wipe-on diluted varnish that might be available. I'd rather stay away from mixing something myself now, uh, though in the future I'd give it a try, Dave. I actually think, Dave, that since we can't necessarily make a recommendation, I don't know if there is a pre-diluted wiping varnish available in the UK. I don't know if like Minwax distributes their products there. I don't know whether they do or not. Uh, but Minwax does have a very nice wipe-on poly uh, that would suffice if they have it. If they don't, I urge you to jump off the fence and start doing some dilutions yourself because it's really not that difficult. If you take any full-strength varnish, uh, any like modern oil-based polyurethane is good too. Um, you can just dilute that 50% with mineral spirits, or it might be called white spirits, I believe in UK. Um, that is going to be all you need to do. Just dilute it 50%, give it a good stir. And now you have your wiping formula. There's really nothing more to it. And the other thing is you wind up saving money. Even, even here, a lot of times I just go get some min wax poly, dilute it 50, 50, 
And if I don't feel like going and buying a expensive can of armor seal, especially if I'm doing like shop furniture or something that's really not that critical, that's the way that I'm going to do it. And it's just not that difficult. So do you then just pour it into an old armor seal one and fool yourself into thinking that it's the, the right way? <laughs> yes, I do. Nice. You know, we uh, when we went to L.A. the other week to to do some some stuff, um, I I actually we had to stay. We had no choice. The hotel that was closest to where we were um, were going was a very it was the Beverly Hilton uh, Hotel. So they have those uh, water bottles. What is it? Is it called Voss? Is that what it's called? Oh, uh-huh. yes, Voss. Right? So they were they gave us a complimentary bottle of this Voss water and it's like it's like a shampoo bottle. It's the it's so thick and and well made because water really needs that that heavy of a <laughs> heavy of a um a thing to drink out of. So I took this bottle and I drank out of it all weekend. I don't know why, like I hated it at first cuz I'm like this is just the stupidest thing. But then I was like attracted to it and I was pouring Aquafina water <laughs> and like whatever I got at the gas station. I was pouring that into the Voss bottle and drinking out of it. I was like a supermodel for a couple of days. You like walking up to friends and be like, I can't drink here. You don't have any Voss in this house. <laughs> There's no Voss here. <laughs> so well, anyway. Be- before, since Mark took us on a tangent, before we go <laughs> too far away from this armor seal thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. I actually consulted uh, Facebook, the Facebook Oracle and Ask some British folks. First of all, Armor Seal is not banned in the UK. Okay. It's just really hard to find because some Italian dude with a video about simple varnish finish has made it impossible to keep the stuff on the shelves. I think it's a distribution channel issue. Hey, I'm half so can get it. <laughs> but the recommendation I got from five independent sources was for a product called Osmo Poly X. Mm. And uh, I know for that a fact that sounds like a BBC the, show. Doesn't it though? <laughs> uh, the guy that uh, Dave who asked this question did actually go out and buy some of that stuff. So I'll be curious to see. Uh, kick it back to us, Dave. Let me know uh, how it works out for you. I'm looking at it now. The original uh, something oil. Hard wax oil. Interesting. I have to take a look mm-hmm. at it. Uh, yeah, if it's oil-based, dilute it. And, it, you know, while that stuff is supposed to be pre-diluted, I guess. Um, I don't know. I'll have to look into it and definitely report back for sure. Okay, what's next? Who's next? Okay, well, this time around, Mark sent us a question because apparently he thought I was really cool sending in a message. <laughs> so he's going to send one. So uh, Mark is asking, so I just got a new table saw and it has a riving knife that moves up and down with the blade. My question is as follows. Do I need to remove the riving knife when completing operations that require me to raise the blade through the work? I'm in the process of making a crosscut sled and I'm just not sure I wanted to take that next step without asking safety first, right? Well, my first safety I, week, no. Yeah, no, not that, until, that's not till May. Yeah, You're going to save on. this question. <laughs> Excuse me, but uh, wait, so first of all, with a riving knife, typically uh, it's going to stay just below or right about even with the top of the blade. But if you're bringing this up through the work, um, the slot's not going to be big enough to take in that riving knife mm-hmm. uh, because it actually extends out the back of the blade. So uh, I would remove the riving knife because of that that very reason. And to be quite honest with you, it's, it's what I do anyways, and I've had no issues with it because it's only temporary. And hopefully if you are bringing anything up through the actual wood itself, you have this securely in place. It's not right. just going to simply, you know, like, oh, I'm going to put my hand here. Hey, where's that blade coming up? Ah, Whoops. you know, not to make fun of it, but uh, people I'm sure have done something like that. Sure. So in general, yeah, just take the riving, blade, riving knife off. Then as soon as you have the slot prepared, put it back in, get it going. So that way you don't have it setting off to the side and forget about it. And I, I think you'll be okay. Cool. Coolio. Uh, let's see. Mike is interested in getting into carving. Uh, he says, I've been looking at the flex cut 
FR310 set or the file six-piece set of palm chisels as they seem to be perfect for carving, but I've never used palm chisels, only traditional bevel edge chisels. My question is, what are your guys' opinion on palm chisels for carving? Would these be good value for a beginner woodcarver or would my money be better spent on traditional shaped chisels? Um, I have not used palm chisels myself. I don't know about you guys. I, I like a longer handle. Yeah. Um, the, the <clears throat> ways that I've been taught to carve involve very much a two-handed action and the hand that holds the chisel actually does quite a bit, not only in pushing, but like lateral twisting of the handle. Like, especially if you're maybe coming into a stop cut and you want to really control your cut, you can actually rotate the handle and create a bit of a skewing action so you can control that cut a little bit more. Hmm. I don't think you can do that with a palm chisel. You'd have to like wrap your palm around it. And I don't know, to me, you're losing some control yeah. when you have just the, the palm chisel. Again, having never used them before, I probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, if I were to try to go there now, it would be very difficult because I've been taught lots of ways to use the more traditional longer handle. Yeah, I actually do have the flex cut ones and I have since gotten full size carving chisels just because uh, for what you're talking about, Shannon, that when you have that longer handle, it seems like you have uh, more opportunities for just kind of um, getting a different angle or holding it a different way or it just right. seems like you have and there's more There's just options. more leverage. I mean, a longer yeah. lever makes more leverage on the on the, uh, the chisel. Yeah, and I think if you're doing really tight, detailed work, really small stuff, having that smaller chisel, the palm chisel, might be advantageous because you can kind of get both of your hands on the work and stabilize the cut and you don't have as big of a handle in the way. But ultimately, I think if you're just getting started, I, th I think it's better off with a full-size set. Right. I don't know if there's a price difference. I haven't looked, but I <clears throat> yeah, can't imagine it would be that big of a deal. Okay. Let's see. We got, I'm going to answer a question for myself. There's apparently Mark <laughs> with a C has asked us a lot of questions. I don't, maybe it's my alter ego or I just do this while I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah. It's your sleepwalking. That's it. <laughs> Sleep type. Uh, so like many others, I've probably seen every episode of the new Yankee workshop. My question is that Norm always used a radial arm saw. I also watched the Wood Whisper and Matt's Basement Workshop and noticed that you guys don't use them. Is this a uh, is this tool a worthwhile purchase for my shop? All right, my rule of thumb for radial arm saws is if you already have one or you have access to one for you know very little money, go for it. If you don't have one, don't. I wouldn't really bother. Uh, radial arm saws. It's not that they're not useful. They've just kind of fallen out of favor. Um, a lot of po folks who are into, you know, the power tool side of things will generally have like a sliding compound miter saw and anything that that can't do is typically done at the table saw or even with a circular saw. So, um, it's almost become a redundant tool for the way that people typically set up their shops these days and you just don't see them around as much, you know? So I've never had a need of one. I've never said to myself, boy, I wish I had one. I've worked in a couple of shops that have had them, and I've I was always kind of scared of them, frankly. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't blame you one bit. <laughs> uh, so it's not it's not really my tool of choice. So there you go. If if you can get one inexpensively, or you already have one, don't get rid of it. But I wouldn't go out of my way to stock one unless you see some particular technique that you really like, and you think that that um, the radial arm saw is going to satisfy that for you. Yeah, and I see these all the time on Craigslist, and of course, they're always usually like, "This was back in the barn. It's been there for like twenty, thirty years. Nobody's used it. Just come and get it for twenty bucks." And right. I think I'm, I'm the so way. If you have one, keep it. If you don't, mm, move on. Cool. Right. 
Oh, this is me. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) This comes from Kenji. For once, Mark or I are not asking a question. And Kenji says, love the show, guys. I also want to thank Mark specifically for his in-depth detail on building a crosscut sled. Mm. I finally built one, and Mark had some really good uses he showed in his video, but I wanted to know more so I could fully utilize my new sled. All the links online are about building one, but not about all the various uses. Can you guys please point me in the direction for learning the various techniques of using a crosscut sled? Well, Kenji, basically, I use mine to crosscut things. Is I put it on the table saw. It does one job. Yeah, it raises the blade and I push it through. But no, seriously though, there are all sorts of things you can do with it. Crosscutting is quite obviously the main one because it's right in the name. Uh, but you could go so far as to create numerous little jigs for doing uh, miters with them. You could do things like uh, uh, the the what's the one that we I want to call it like a dog ear, but that's not the right one, like donkey ear or something, where you can put the piece up on end and then do a miter while still leaving the blade at a full 90 degrees uh, right. to the, the table. Yeah. Um, oh man, there's just so many optional jigs that you could put on this to pretty much cover whatever kind of joinery you want to do with this. I mean, it's, it, there's really just, just think of a joinery technique you want to do. And I guarantee there's probably a jig that you could set up to put onto your crosscut sled and yeah. use it. What's interesting is he's he's right though. Most of the resources for this stuff teach you how to build it. They might mm-hmm. mention like like my video does a couple of things that you can do with it. But ultimately, there is nothing out there really as a a sort of resource that's saying here are all the things you could do or here's all the little uh, attachments you can make. Because I think a lot of designs will incorporate T tracks or they'll incorporate a commercial stop of some sort that really isn't applicable to everybody because we don't have that system. Um, right. So, I mean, with the crosscut sled, I've seen some crazy, crazy stuff out there where people engineer their crosscut sled to be, you know, almost like it's off the showroom floor of um, uh, Incra or something like that. I mean, amazing, amazing things you can do with it. Yeah, they'll look like those so far as you can even have like a set of calipers on it so yeah. that you can figure out exactly the the one thousandth millionth that you're taking <laughs> off of it. Right, so. but, but generally you'll find it in bits and pieces. You might find a, a, someone doing a project video on YouTube or one of our sites where we use a crosscut sled and it's that one little application, but that video wasn't about the crosscut sled, but you see it being used. So it, it's going to probably be tricky for him to track all these little things down because um, they're out there. It's just not in one sort of concise set that he can go and look at. I think just watch all the Woodworks episodes because David like never took that crosscut sled off his table. He was always using that thing. You know what? And I thought of that before and I wanted to recommend it. Go to uh, djmarks.com and David has, I think the first two seasons of Woodworks are available now. And Shannon's not kidding. Uh, Almost every project he does utilizes in some way uh, the crosscut sled, and he shows you how to use stop blocks and some really creative things that you can do with it in the context of a project. Uh, so yeah. I think that's a that's a great recommendation. Go to djmarks.com. Nice. Yeah, throwing a plug for David. <laughs> All right, next. Righty, let's see. <clears throat> this is from Andreas. He says, I currently have two sets of chisels, both Stanley. I'm going to dedicate the weaker steel set to pairing operations. However, I have no idea how to test which steel is better. Is there a simple test short of using them both to chop and see which one dulls faster? Okay. Um, What I want to know is how he knows one set is weaker than the other. Um, (laughs) The full email he sent said something like, I have one that I just got and then one that was manufactured around 2000. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like both of these sets of chisels are relatively recent. 
And in my opinion, you know, if it's been manufactured recently, like in probably the last 50 years, uh, I don't think the technology has changed that much that the steel is going to be that big of a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think, I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe he's overthinking this a little bit. <laughs> and the steel is probably still going to be better than, you know, a chisel made in 1804 because uh, we've got a little bit more exacting, higher quality control in our steel manufacturer process. So I, I would think what I told him in an email to him was find the chisel that actually feels and is the most comfortable in your hand and use that one for the pairing chisel because it's all about kind of grip and feel when you're using a paring chisel mm-hmm. rather than, you know, beating on it with a mallet. The only way I know to determine types of steel is by the spark pattern, but that doesn't determine whether this steel is weaker than the other. You know, you can tell the difference between high speed steel and high carbon steel by what the what the sparks do when they come off a grinder. Oh, okay. Um but you know that that's not really I mean those are different types of steel. Not one is weaker than the other. Right. Um, I suppose if you really want to know a metallurgic test, um, call Ron Hawk, <laughs> and he can probably point you in the right direction. Right. But ultimately, I wouldn't worry about it. I would dedicate one to pairing and do the other one for chopping. Now, here's what I'm going to recommend as a very scientific option. If you hold both chisels up in your hands, about four feet from the ground, hold them up, let them go at the same time, and let them hit the concrete, and then just see which one dents more than the other. You, that'll do it. That's blasphemy. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I think it's a great idea, personally. Either that or you and uh, Chris Schwartz like to throw things off roofs. You should get up on that roof and really see what it does. Right. You're getting... when he was doing that with the, the hand planes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. Uh, okay. Next up, we've got a question from Al. He says he's made an end, end, blah, 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 an end grain butcher block cutting board. I have not treated it yet. Which, uh, which project? What is wrong with me? Let me do this again. I made an end grain butcher block cutting board. You know what it is? He typed in all caps and it's throwing me off. <laughs> He's yelling at shouting us. at me. Yeah. I have not treated it yet. Which product should I use? They are both made by Howard. One is butcher block conditioner, food grade mineral oil. The other, uh, oh, and has natural waxes. And the other is Howard butcher block cutting board oil. Hope you can tell me which one's the best to use. I would say use neither personally um generally <laughs> what you're looking at <laughs> sorry you spent that money <laughs> sorry about that send it back amazon's good like that if you bought it from amazon uh okay if you look at the two different products we've got their cutting board oil and it's just a clear oil it's really just mineral oil they've got like enriched with vitamin e which is just bs i don't think you have to worry about that the other product is mineral oil with wax and that's why it's got that yellowish color uh, really, they're, they're, they're similar products, but the difference is wax. Do you want wax on your cutting board or don't you? Um, right. So for me personally, I if you're going to choose between those two products, I would get the one with the wax. Um, I like my mineral oil to have a little bit of wax in it because it just gives me a little bit more uh, texture to work with when you rub it into the wood. Uh, and the wax does add some uh, extra protection from moisture. Uh, the thing is, though, both of these products, let's see, one is $7.85 for a 12-ounce bottle of oil. The one with the wax is 918, uh, and that's the, again, 12 ounces. You can also get, just quickly looked on Amazon, uh, you can get a one pint, 16 ounce bottle of mineral oil uh, from Cumberland Swan, I guess, uh, for 399. So you're basically getting more for half the price. So if you're going to use mineral oil, go that route. Don't buy the stuff specifically for cutting boards and butcher blocks because you're going to pay two to three times as much for it. And if you want, Beeswax is not that difficult to come by. 
and you can make your own uh, wax mixture. I did this in my cutting board video way back in episode seven, and you could do like a double boiler thing and warm up a little bit of wax in the mineral oil and it's good to go. It's a great way to finish your cutting boards and it's not going to cost you that much. So you could certainly make your own for, for much, much cheaper. Nice. Yeah. The fact that yeah. you know the fact that you know that it was episode seven is an indication of how many butcher block questions you get. <laughs> yeah, there are a few, I'd say maybe three episodes that I cannot ever forget the episode number. <laughs> you know? Um yeah, maybe I think it was episode seven. I'm thinking it might have been episode four now that you're you're putting me to the test here. Uh oh. Mm. Oh boy. Well shoot. Mm. Okay. Anyway, who's next? <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's funny because when that question came in, I was looking at using uh, cutting board oil for the rings when I was first working on them, and I actually happened to have the Howard Butcher Block, and I was looking at it some more, going, "Let ah, me use something else." <laughs> <laughs> right. So, anyways, uh, this this the question I have now is from Steelers Five Ten. That's a heck of a name. I wonder if that's on their uh, birth certificate. Uh, recent TV internet videos have provided a couple of questions, which I hope you guys can either verify or explain. One, is Elmer's school glue the white form of Elmer's yellow glue, and can it be used for woodworking as I saw described? So let's do this first. Let's answer that question. Elmer's uh, white glue, school glue, the white form of Elmer's. No, it's actually not the the same as the Elmer's yellow glue. I was just doing a quick look on this. Uh, supposedly, the white school glue is a casein glue, which uh, apparently is made from milk, or it's a milk byproduct or something along the line it's of a that. Milk protein. Right, and the, but the typical carpenter's glue, the yellow glue, the the white carpenter's glue is a PVA, polyvinyl acetate. So I don't doubt that you could use the casein glue. They shouldn't have major issues. I mean, if you can use hide glue, mm-hmm. should they be yeah. kind of similar? Still a casein protein glue. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, you you can use it. Um, and it probably is very. It's somewhere in the middle that I'm I'm going to assume kind of maybe in strength. I mean, I, I have no idea. I I usually go straight for like the carpenter's glue. So well, I can tell you that both the William Ing School and the Mark. At least, I don't know if the school does it, but I know Mark Adams in a few of his videos uh, has mentioned that he uses Elmer's school glue. So there's two okay. very reputable resources. <clears throat> and um, add to that list the Acanthus Workshop Chuck Bender School. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: it's cheap too. You know, so right. you could buy the big old gallon of that stuff. And uh, apparently, people who know who've been in this business a heck of a lot longer than us think it's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to go with their recommendation on that. You want to be careful around snack time though, because there might be a thing of white glue and some cookies next to it. So <laughs> be extra careful with that since it's uh, made from milk products. Nice. Okay. So uh, question number two from Steelers 510 is a spring joint really necessary or desirable for forming a tabletop? Why is this better than joining straight uh, two straight edges? Well, a, a spring joint, or sometimes referred to as a sprung joint, just refers to the fact that there's a little bit of a a, a, a bow in, in the middle of the boards. And the idea is that when you then bring these together, when you clamp them together, the ends will stay tight as you're applying that extra pressure to bring in the middle. Now, there's one one mis- misconception that I used to make a long time ago, which is like that bow in the middle has to be like really exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And so then you'd have like tons of pressure on there and it was just the ugliest thing you've ever seen. It just has to be just very slight, just a, a very slight amount removed from the middle to uh, have the, the spring joint work. Is it necessary? I don't think so. I think it's it's one of those things if you're concerned that the ends of your boards are going to pop open at some point as they dry, as they can move around as you know it, the years go by, it might be something to do. Uh, otherwise, if you have two perfectly parallel straight edges 
they should glue up perfectly fine and stay together without any issue. Yeah. Um, one nice benefit of a spring joint is if you've done it the right way, uh, supposedly you only need like one or two clamps to really pull things together and have it seal up nice and tight. So that's that's one big benefit. If you're low on clamps, it, it, that helps out a little bit. But I think that's actually where it originates. I think that's why it came into being because, you know, the the – adage you can never have too many clamps was even bigger back in the 1800s where they had to make them themselves and had like two clamps in the whole shop i think that's probably how it got started that's yeah then that's not because i yeah when it comes to the actual like oh it makes sure that your ends never come open if you use a spring joint um yeah i've proven that wrong even when i've done it right so (laughs) (laughs) but i think that's more to do with choosing the wrong wood that's all so yeah that's you have you if guys, you have nice uh, straight boards, that's 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 going to work out perfectly fine. Have either of you ever bothered to make a sprung joint? Oh yeah, intentionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 did you? Did, I mean, did you find it to any long term difference? Was there any anything compelling you to do it again? Nope. You can tell absolutely no difference from a straight joint and a sprung joint later on. The only reason I did it was so I could string one clamp across the middle of the board and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was like, oh, that's that's cool. Um, the only other thing I'll say is, you don't necessarily you don't necessarily have to go all the way to a spring joint, but to ensure that the boards come together, like making that one or two plane passes in the middle of the board will make sure that the ends come together. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're not certain that it's perfectly flat, that's a good way to ensure that the ends come together. You're not necessarily springing it for any kind of strength. You're stacking the cards in your favor that it's going to close up. Right. 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 Yeah. Cool. And really, again, yeah, just the amount you need to remove is like, you know, the, the thickness of like a, a playing card. It doesn't have to be an exaggerated amount to yeah. I mean, get the benefit from it. Two to three plane passes. So, you know, depending on the setting, you're talking, you know, eight thousandths of an inch yeah. at most, probably. Cool. Sweet. All right. Let's move into our iTunes reviews, which, by the way, if you want to go into iTunes, you could look up Wood Talk and click on ratings and reviews. And then you could tell Matt um, how much you like his new website. It's so pretty. And I can actually find things. Right. <laughs> uh, so a special thanks to those who did leave us a review. Just Piddlin. MS Colorado and Trainman0978, who had this to say. I like this review. You guys will like it too. This is what a podcast is supposed to be. Superb audio quality, good flow of topics, and three people who know how to run a recording session. Excellent work, very funny, and I listen every week and have gone back and listened to every old episode that I could. I love the show. This is a woodworking podcast that everyone else is trying to duplicate in our craft. Like Powermatic, this is the gold standard. How do you like that? (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, I also want to mention that uh, today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and also hardwood to go at Hardwood2Go.com. And let's see, what else do we have? No recurring donations to to thank anyone for this week. What? I know, right? What are we going to (laughs) do? But if you want, you can actually go to the woodtalkshow.com page and look on the left-hand side. You'll see a couple of links there for the recurring donations. Two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, or a one-time donation if you so choose. We always appreciate the support. Helps us uh, do stuff and things. Yeah, yeah, justify it to my wife. No, honey, I actually have to do something tonight (laughs) for real. No, no, I'm actually, I might make some money. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. You never know. Uh, So, Matt, how about you tell them uh, how they can get a hold of us and we'll get out of here. 
All right, folks. Well, if you've been listening all this time, I bet you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion, maybe something for the kickback. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you know where you're going to find those? over at woodtalkshow.com Hey-o. and that's the only place you need to go because every place else well, except for my new website is it's okay <laughs> right and by the <laughs> way Matt you gotta tell your kids to stay off of Netflix while, uh, while daddy's why, recording nobody's home it's just me oh what do you got going on up there what are you watching I don't know you know I, I think the cat's <laughs> been doing something kind of wacky <laughs> they do have good shows for cats on Netflix my, my son loves them he, he likes the fireplace one <laughs> yeah it's very exciting All right. Well, I guess that does it for us. We will catch you next week. See ya. See ya, buddy. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.